Welcome to the Promo Cares Radio Podcast, where we share the stories about the good being done in the promotional products industry. From philanthropic efforts to cause marketing to giving programs, these are the people who are inspiring others to improve the world through promo. To learn more about Promo Cares, visit promocares.org. Now, on with today's show. Here we are. Promo Cares Radio, <laughs> welcome. Um, we are so excited. I personally am very excited because, as they say, I have two girl crushes on with me, and I don't know which way they are in the Brady Bunch layout, but um, the brains that are right in here is, is super exciting for me. So thank you for joining us today. We have Kathy from Redwood Classics out of Canada. So thank you for coming. Thanks for having me. Thank and we you. have Denise, our, my fellow board member, also in Canada. So I'm like the minority here. Yay. A Canadian sandwich. I love it. I would be that gladly. <laughs> so much kindness in that sandwich. Um, so uh, we wanted to have Kathy on today because uh, her company is a second generation company, but a third generation company in the textile world and a major focus on sustainability and um, goodness for the world. So um, this is very exciting. I'm a little nervous about well, it. <laughs> I, I, I'm nervous and I am. Um, thank you. Thank you, Carrie and Denise for having me. I sincerely appreciate it. Yay. So um, let's talk first about um, you personally and uh, the fire within when you started having that little flame lit for sustainability within the world. I would say this, uh, my journey has been unplanned. Um, you know, now there's the term called social impact. But when my father and I became business partners, I didn't have that framework of social impact. It was really the impact of our people. So just to give you a little history, um, my dad, you know, we're your typical immigrant family that came to Canada. I came when I was very young, only child. Um, you know, when we came to Canada, my dad used to work three jobs and my mom worked full time. I was a latchkey kid at the age of five. So we just grew up with very, very humble beginnings. And it wasn't until he started uh, with his brother and sister, a small sewing contracting company in 1988 with five people and 10 machines. Fast forward to the late 90s. And at this point, they've scaled and they've grown to a point where we're directly employing close to 500 people. We're as full a vertical manufacturer as you can be. We had a knitting mill, embroidery, screen printing, cut and sew, all of that. Um, you start seeing the writing on the wall because China's about to join WTO and in 2001 they joined WTO and then things start going downhill because when you're paying, you know, your labor rates, 10 cents to a dollar or sometimes, you know, cents to a dollar, it becomes very challenging. Um, and so that was kind of the journey and then come 2008 was the global recession. So, by that time, we were down to about 100, 150 people. Uh, my aunt and uncle had retired from the business, and it was just my dad. And, you know, we had a, a family decision. Do we retire like most textile families have, or do we restructure and kind of keep fighting this battle of domestic production? And I remember very clearly my dad asked me to be his business partner and do this all over again. And I was like, selfishly at first I was like oh my god I've been in this family business like you know I didn't really have summer jobs my summer job was working at the factory and I literally grew up in in this environment of of a factory um what I call it my aha moment where I'm you know after he asked me the word got out that we may not be around anymore I'm standing in the middle of the sewing facility you hear the humming you feel the emotions and I call it my aha moment because it just hits me. And 
it's holy shit. Sorry, am I allowed to say that? You're okay. <laughs> Beep. <laughs> and it's, I realized that I have had this phenomenal life mm-hmm. ever since I've come to Canada because of our factory, because of our makers. And I have the education that I do. My life could have been completely different if I stayed back in Hong Kong. Mm-hmm. And so at that point, I said, you know what? I got to do this. And I became my dad's business partner. And it was really for our makers. It was, you know, we've lost and I've seen so many jobs being lost and very highly skilled uh, professionals end up, you know, working at a stock boy or just taking on other jobs and not being able to hone their skill simply because there wasn't a demand for domestic made goods. Um, so January 2009, my dad and I became business partners and we humbly restructured with 40 people and we moved into one of the factories that we had outgrown years ago. And then fast forward now, it's been 11 years and, you know, we've definitely tripled our workspace. We've moved and expanded, but we've also almost tripled our headcount. Mm-hmm. So, you know, the purpose of People, Planet and Profit, it was prior to it being a social impact. And I think over the years now, as we talk about sustainability and social impact, the term has come through. But I could tell you when I first started, I I don't know, I I didn't have that business model or I'm going to start my business because it's going to have a social impact. We just wanted to impact lives because it's impacted our lives so deeply and so personally. You know, Kathy, I think I I love that story. (laughs) It's like so good. Um, And, and, you know, just this like rebirth of a, of a family company into Redwoods classics and, you know, kind of away you go. And and I think your story is really common in our industry. And it's one where there's these great suppliers in our industry that are doing great work, community impact, like doing great work for their workers, providing really good jobs. And, and they're just not necessarily have the language or the story to tell, to, to tell in the modern day story. Like I, I've talked to factories where they're doing things that, you know, full dental plans for their sewers and things that are kind of unheard of in cut and sew, you know, we've talked about this before, yeah. but they don't necessarily think it's yeah. a big deal because they're just like, well, that's like, you know, like that's just being a good human. And, and, and yet there's this desire on the customer side for those stories and for them to spend their dollars with suppliers and, and, and distributor partners that are doing good. And I'm kind of curious about that. Like now that you're, you know, fast forward, you've got this great brand. How are you telling your story? Like what, what are, you know, what does it look like for a customer of yours in terms of your ability in this industry that can sometimes be, I need it tomorrow. I need it cheaper. How do you tell this like incredible story? besides talking to us on a podcast <laughs> in the sales cycle. I'm just kind of curious about that. <laughs> How does the brand show up when you're, you know, when you're um, Redwoods Classics? I think we had, we were one of the first early adopters in this industry to actually, even as a factory, um, to, to, to be on social. So we're very active on social media. That's something we had invested in very early on because we felt that we had a true and sincere story to tell. And so over the years, we've now developed every Friday, which is today. Oh my goodness. I should take a picture of this afterwards. Um, (laughs) Every Friday we do a hashtag factory Friday. So we're showing things behind the scenes of what 
what is happening at our factory. So, you know, um, I think we're also like, we'll show things like, oh, we're now doing isolation gowns, level one isolation gowns to be part of this COVID fight. So we encourage people to follow us. And then on Fridays, it's hashtag factory Fridays. We could have end user clients that come in. We could have visitors. And these are things that have happened for the week. And I think that's something I hope we show the transparency because we speak about transparency. We do a lot of school tours. I mean, I've been involved on a grassroots level with all of uh, the fashion schools in Ontario for a number of years now. I sit on their advisory boards because for us, it's, you know, making and being an apparel manufacturer, it's not a sexy business. You know, I think being in supply chain is not sexy per se. Mm -hmm. And, And so a lot of it is really how do you demystify, how do you um, talk about the, the reality. And I, I do say it's, it's not the sexiest business. When people ask me what I do, my first question is, do you want the sexy answer or do you want the, <laughs> the business answer? Because the sexy answer is I'm in fashion. I'm mm-hmm. in the supply chain of fashion, right? But the business answer is, you know, I'm in the supply chain. I'm a manufacturer. And saying you're a manufacturer is not as sexy as saying I'm in fashion. Right? <laughs> <laughs> but with fashion, like, I mean, I just how how do we do it we do it through telling our story and just being very frank and open and we i think we've taken a different approach and a big part of it i think is cultural as well um a lot typically when it's offshore you're making there may be a language ability and because i'm second generation i call myself a one and a half generation i was i was not born in canada but i was socialized and I was educated here but I'm still I was grew up uh, at home in a very Chinese culturally strong environment so I'm able to you know understand the language the culture and whatnot and I think what we I've been lucky enough to do is because I'm so blessed with the understanding and the familiarity of both cultures we've been able to merge it and I hopefully through that have been able to tell the truth and the story of who we yeah. are. Mm-hmm. That's that's an also an interesting point. And it's, you know, a lot of people, you know, we've talked in the past about diversity and equity and inclusion and how that, <laughs> like sustainability is kind of growing and you just, you just make such an eloquent point to why like diversity is just a good thing. Like the more perspectives and histories you have, you just, it's like a soup that gets tastier with, with, with more ingredients. And yeah. Um, but one of the things I've been thinking a lot about lately and chatting with folks is how in some ways um, in the procurement side, in the buyer side, there's folks that talk a lot about DNI, diversity and inclusion. They yep. want minority owned businesses and they're very focused on that. And yep. then there's folks and they generally are over here and they're talking about sustainability and, you know, recycled materials or organic cotton. It's quite rare actually to have a conversation where both come in. And I'm curious if you're starting to see a trend where folks that are interested in minority-owned businesses or the DNI conversation are starting to have the sustainable products, environmental impact, social impact conversation, are they still both? Because I feel like you're one of the few people I know that tread in both worlds. I do. Um, We absolutely tread in both worlds. Are you seeing a kind of a coming together of those sort of frameworks for doing better in the world and in supply chain in particular? Yep, absolutely. So, I mean, one of my biggest fears, the word sustainability is going to be bastardized, like the word eco has or green has over the years. And it's become such a big word. Um, 
So I'm going to start off by saying, I think in my humble opinion, every person, every organization, every company should define what sustainability means to him or her or to the organization. And to Redwood Classic, sustainability is twofold. The environmental impact, that's table stakes, right? Like that is, that's it. We're domestically made close to 60% of the fabric that we consume at the factory level is knitted within a hundred miles radius of us. You know, we've been reinvesting into our local supply chain. We have, you know, not just, you know, tripled our headcount in terms of direct employment, but indirect employment by ways of procurement of ourselves as well. So environmental, that's one thing, but the socioeconomic impact, which is where the jobs come in. Mm -hmm. I think that's another part of sustainability that we like to talk about. And, um, you know, where prior to COVID, we were in the midst of actually putting together a sustainability report, but I don't want it to call it a sustainability report. We're still trying to find the right name for it, but it's to describe not necessarily just the environmental and quantifying the environmental impact, but it's also quantifying the socioeconomic impact mm -hmm. and just by looking within our building alone I know we're living that that aspect of the socioeconomic impact by being able to triple the headcount in jobs and you know in 10 years um, and to create more jobs and often a lot of our makers they're of Asian descent I know we're trying to diversify our workforce as well but a lot of the challenges ends up being because when they first come to Canada it's hard to get a job if you don't have Canadian experience. Well, you know what? It's hard to get Canadian experience if no one will give you a first chance, right? It's, it, and that becomes very challenging. So I know because again, you know, we've been immigrants ourselves. Um, we have watched and been so proud to be able to be part of so many immigrant stories, including our own. And um, something I posted in LinkedIn last month and it's because of all that's happening in the world, I was very much inspired to finally use my voice. Something that I'm very ashamed of now, um, but at the time when I first founded Redwood Classics, especially coming into the promotional marketplace, is the name Redwood Classics represents the longevity of the product because redwood trees um, are actually very strong and long, so, and, and they live a long time, so that's what the quality of our product stands for. Um, and the legacy of our family history in, in textile is also, you know, in, in the whole redwood tree story. But the last reason is because it didn't sound Chinese. And now I'm ashamed to share that. Like, I'm not ashamed because I'm, I'm going to own up to it. Yeah. But I myself, because at the time when we launched Redwood, it was in the midst of fast fashion. It was what's the cheapest, what can you get the, the cheapest, what can you get the fastest, and it was all about fast fashion. And typically, back in the day, it was mostly based in China. So if you were made in China, if you were Chinese, then there was that stigma I wanted to be away from because we're we might be you know, of Asian descent, but we're not you know, a, a Chinese factory or, or what was at that time associated with fast fashion and cheap and cheerful. We're a complete opposite of that. Mm. No. So, I mean, going back to the socioeconomic impact, do I see that? Yes, there's a number of, of firms, as you know, Denise, I'm, I'm, and, and you know, Carrie, I'm very much involved in the supplier diversity world, right? And in that, you're seeing titles um, that used to be diversity or supplier diversity is now under a big banner called sustainability. 
there's a number of FIs that have most recently done that as well on a global level, as well as, you know, at a regional level. Mm-hmm. And those responsibilities, I think, is because they do go hand in hand. Mm-hmm. And one of the main reasons why these corporate, I mean, when you have, what is it, 95% of Fortune 500 companies have supplier diversity programs. That's saying something, mm-hmm. right? Um, I think they're finding a business case for it because if they didn't, it's not just doing the right thing. It's not just doing the good thing. It's also doing good thing for your business. And the bottom line, there's a business case or else why would they invest millions and millions of dollars into these programs? And I think in my humble opinion, that's what this industry really needs an injection of. If you go to the same old, same old, you're going to get the same old, same old solution. And if like our end user clients are saying that's not working for us anymore, then who are we as, as our industry to not move forward alongside with that? Yeah, yeah. And this, uh, preach, this- girl, preach. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I just, <laughs> I get to every time. So I have a question um, concerning yeah, like, Carrie, wait, wait, I just have a little, question okay. about um, yeah. when you're hiring people now and you have that focus on sustainability. Are you finding people are going through college and getting educated within sustainability or are you creating this title and then filling it with people that will be able to infuse the good? I don't think we're, we're out looking for it and it doesn't have to be um, enough. We, so we run an internship program here as well, again, because I work with a number of fashion schools um, and part of their curriculum is they need on, you know, in hand experience on, you know, it, life, life experience or job experience, I should say. And there really isn't that many manufacturers. <laughs> so um, we're pretty fortunate in that way where I love doing factory tours. I love showing the next generation of how a factory does run because often, and this is something I've said before where, you know, if you think about it, um, we celebrate farmers, right? We celebrate farmers because it's farm to table and they're in our backyard because they're growing locally. If you think about apparel, most of the apparel is done offshore out of mind out of sorry out of sight out of mind mm-hmm. when you're halfway around the world we're not really thinking about our makers so you know going back to what got me all started the 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 beginning of all of of redwood classics and the reason why we do what we do was for our makers but over the years i realized I can speak the language. I have a voice. I will continue to build my voice and I can be a voice, not just for our makers, for makers around the world. It doesn't matter if you're made in Bangladesh, made in Vietnam, made in Australia or made in Canada. That's still our makers. And there are still people that are running these machines. So it's still a very humanized process of apparel manufacturing. So I'm going to, you know, challenge each of you and anybody who's watching or listening is when was the last time you celebrated maker to skin? Mm -hmm. And that is what sustainability, you know, in addition to the environmental impact is also the socioeconomic impact. Mm -hmm. Yeah, Yeah. very well said, very well said. Carrie, should we just ask Kathy what her thoughts are to, to kind of wrap up? Um, you know, what do you think our industry needs to move these conversations forward, the solutions forward, and to, to you know, to get more players in this space pursuing social impact, sustainability, and all, you know, doing good? What do you, what do you think, you know, what's missing or what do we, what do we need as an industry to move forward? And before you I- answer, 
that. You've got yes. you've got someone that's you know under a million dollars, and then you've got Denise's company that's over a million. Let's just say we know it's more than that, but it's like you've got the smaller distributor that's like, what can I do? It's just me. I'm all by myself, and I have this this you know I've got access to four thousand suppliers that can do all this, and yeah. then Denise is same. So like speaking to maybe the people that are just solopreneurs in our industry, which are 95% of what we're doing, what can we do? And then what can companies like Denise's, which they're so far off the track, it's not even funny, but like, what can we do? Larger, you know, larger, distri larger yeah. distributors, you know? Two areas. Um, I'm gonna say start off by figuring out what your North Star is, right? The 95%, do you care, truly care about it? Or is it, because you need to, because you, everyone's telling you to. I think if you don't truly believe it, your actions, the way you lead your business, um, it will, it, it'll be disingenuine. And I think we all know with sales, if you're disingenuine, you might get the first sale now, but what is your longevity of this relationship? And I hear time and time again, this industry is all about relationship. So if you're disingenuine, I don't think you're going to get those relationships. Mm -hmm. In my humble opinion, to have promo cares, to have, to highlight voices such as Carrie's and Denise's and Rogers and, you know, like to, to open up platforms and not have the same old voices time and time again, I think that's been impactful. Mm -hmm. Um, and there's something else, I don't know if it's appropriate to, to, to say, but what I, in my humble opinion, have found a little bit disheartening before, but now I guess I'm okay with it, was that, you know, I think we put a great product, great service out in this marketplace, but it wasn't until we were recognized outside of the industry. We were winning multiple awards that had nothing to do with this industry, but entrepreneur and just being business focused as who we are, then we started getting noticed in this industry. And so I guess what I'm trying to say is, let's all be a little bit open with our ears and eyes and ears and not just be going to the same people over and over again. Um, and I think from an association standpoint, um, perhaps, and it, or it could be groups or whatever it may be, um, I think data is really, really important we're only, you know, I don't even think we're skimming at the top of this diversity issue in this industry. Mm -hmm. You can, we don't even ask if you're diverse certified. We just ask mm -hmm. to self-proclaim. Yeah. So how are we enabling others to want to do good to group together? Mm -hmm. I don't think we do because Self-identified, great, you can self-identify it, but then where's the validity of it? And then the other thing, and because I'm a supplier, I wish more distributors would talk about supplier diversity because tier two reporting is coming. Yeah. Tier one reporting is coming if it hasn't already arrived. So why are we not as an industry educating each other and pushing this conversation forward so we can be better solution providers? Again, remember 95% of Fortune 500 companies, 95% have supplier diversity programs. And I believe there's a number of suppliers or distributors that may be certified, but do they talk about it? Do they encourage their suppliers to say, hey, would you like to get look at this? Mm -hmm. And going back to how we can su support and be successful, 
part of it is because I became uh, minority-owned certified and I got really involved in that community. I became women-owned certified and got really involved in that community. And also, I just, I think it's important that all our voices collectively be gathered together. And, and that's why I'm involved with the LGBTQ community as well. I'm not certified, but it's these marginalized groups. So how about if we were to get together and allow more marginalized suppliers and distributors have a voice? Yeah. Yeah, I think that's a really strong point, Kathy. And I think you're doing a great job of communicating what your story is. It kind of comes back to our, our point at the very beginning, which is distributors and our customers, we can't know what we don't know. And I think having conversations like this with suppliers, having what you're doing in social, what you do on your website, it gives us that content so that if we have a customer that we know is passionate about these issues, we can bring you to them. We can bring suppliers yeah. to, you to them. But if we don't know, if it's not a part of our framework, our certifications, our communications, um, it, it's, it's hard to have the conversation. So I think this is the beginning of, like you said, a start of some really bigger conversations in the industry. And, and, uh, and I think you named a really important point, which is, you know, how are we telling the stories about suppliers and how are they being held to task about what stories they're telling that they're valid, that they're, um, you know, authentic. So it's uh, it's kind of a whole other conversation. I think for us, we, we've kind of taken it. <laughs> That's like podcast number yeah. two. <laughs> we, sorry, um, I wanted to add that, you know, one of the things that Redwood Classics did different from perhaps. Definitely probably time to wrap it up. <laughs> Yeah, we're, uh, Kathy, we're, we're, we're frozen. We're, we, we, we lost you. Okay, we got you back. Oh, no. ah. Did you, do, you, do you see me again? We can now. Shit. Okay. <laughs> go, go, go. Um, I, I don't know if you heard, I said there's been multiple occasions, like as Redwood, we have been a B2B brand, uh, but we always speak to our B2C audience. So we've built a community and over the years we have found, you know, we don't go wide, we go deep. Um, but we have found that that's really worked for us because what happens is we often get end user, you know, corporations that say they want to buy from us. And then we say, sorry, I don't do work direct. But then throughout our distribution network, then we're also partnering up with the right distributors that share similar values. And we're actually providing sales leads for them. And we close the deal together. I mean, that's true transparency. Mm -hmm. So we're going back to, you know, how do you tell your story? story is if distributors understand identify end users that share similar values and let's go close that deal together why yeah. not yeah. it's not like i i don't believe your your end user clients are thinking oh okay well you know what denise has a little workshop and she's going to make us hats now and then she's going to make <laughs> us pens it's it's yeah. it's pretty yeah. you know it's pretty obvious that distributors role is to be you know expert sourcers yeah yeah so well, I personally That's think, why, you know, I, I hope um, the we're losing you a little bit. Oh, man. <laughs> That's all right. I all think right. we guys like that last key point and uh, we should, we're at time anyway, so we should wrap up. And I feel like there's another podcast coming on with you. That's what I think. <laughs> I do too. <laughs>
a little bit from now, we need to do another one. So well, I hope so. This was so much fun and hopefully we'll be able to, you know, collectively put our voices together and, and get more soldiers in here and, and help us, um, you know, be able to move this issue forward. I think, you know, it's not just the environmental issue, but the socioeconomic issue is so, so important. Right. So and before you get go, oh, can I get this for my yes. Friday? Yes. yes. <laughs> Got it? Awesome. awesome. All right, everybody. Thank you for listening. Check out Redwood Thank Classic. You. Share this, this was so much fun. with your friends. We appreciate you listening in.